you're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. This is Rohan Kapoor. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, today we wanted to talk a little bit of a follow-up to our meetup last week. We had, uh, before you went off on your trip to Park City, Utah, we're going to have to talk about that on another show. Yep. We want to hear about that. But we had a, a nice meetup in New York City with Rob High of IBM, who's the, the CTO of, of IBM Watson. And we talked a little bit about the, as a follow-up to our last show, which was the winners and losers of uh, all things digital, what's going to happen with that. So anyway, pretty some pretty interesting discussions. I, I got a chance to sidebar with Rob. I think Rob enjoyed that. I think we got a lot of good audience uh, feedback. We had about 50, 60 people there. Yep. How many people were there about? Is that about right? 50, yeah, 60? around just below 50, yeah. Yeah, so it was a very good event, and uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties getting the sound right because that, that venue was not really engineered for sound, but we had some things figured out. We'll post that out on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. But very good conversations. One of the things that was uh, I was reminded of when I was preparing for the meeting with Rob is, is it was a similar, um, I guess epiphany is the right word, that I had when I was doing some work with Microsoft. And we took a tour of Microsoft's uh, studios in, in uh, well not studios, but their innovation center in Times Square. And we got a sense of, well, there's a lot more to Microsoft than Office. And, you know, we started looking at what we called page two of Office 365. There's a lot of cool stuff out there that people just aren't using, right? They pay for the Microsoft Enterprise license agreement. And uh, I something it was really a similar epiphany when, when I was looking at IBM stuff after I was preparing and following up with our meeting with Rob. There's a lot, IBM's got a lot of cool stuff that they typically don't think about IBM having if you're, you know, familiar with their services business, which is where I've done most of my work over my career. They have a lot of cool software out there. They've acquired some companies integrated into the IBM solution. A lot of, a lot of neat stuff out there. So we have up on the screen, some of their open APIs that you can go test out for solutions. But it reminded me again, very similar to the Microsoft, there's a lot more to IBM. I, I suppose you could say this with a lot of companies. There's a lot more out there than people are probably familiar with and taking advantage of. And we go in our consulting business, we talk about the notion that what really, people really need is not more technology, they need more solutions. And the gating factor on solutions is having the right people, the architects who can work together with I'll call it the labor side or the re residual labor in the engineering, plus the technology to develop a solution for a particular business problem. And that's where we see the real scarce resources. We're, we're, we're probably uh, drowning in technology capabilities, but we don't have the similar capabilities on the engineering side to complete solutions. So TJ and Bart, you guys spent the last couple of years deploying technologies into environments. How much... You know, what was your, you know, field experience, you know, in terms of dealing with technology versus dealing with the, what I'll call the raw engineering of getting solutions to work, like working with corporate security, getting things approved, testing them out, user acceptance, et cetera. Well, one of the general trends, I mean, if you can see the screen here, we're looking at some of the 
open APIs, uh, not, not just Watson, but for various services from IBM. I think part of the issue you brought up around, you know, scarce talent, you know, the world's moving so fast. I think there's a trend of kind of democratizing access to these technology components so that you can enable um, agile development and innovation um, f for that scarce talent pool. And I think you, you see Microsoft doing this, you see IBM doing this. Um, it's not just the technologists that have access to the technology anymore. It's um, really anybody who can uh, have the understanding to say, hey, what kind of design do we need and what elements do we need to pull together a full solution, right? And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, well, and also, like, I would say my last few years has been sort of people seeing new cool technology, whether it be AI or RPA technologies or whatever it might be, and it's a technology-led um, interaction where people are saying, hey, I got this really cool thing, let's go find a place to drive it into, Versus saying, at this point, we've got so much technology out there that what we're missing is people being conversant in enough of the toolbox. Now, you can look at these. There's, I would be surprised if anybody knows all of this stuff. This is just for one company. I mean, Bart, how many are up on the screen here? Um, there's uh, about 190. So there's no way that anybody services. understands all 190. And that's just, is just for what's callable from IBM. If you look at Salesforce... When we looked at the the Dreamweaver stuff that they had and all their ca capabilities on the CRM platform, we look at Microsoft. There's no way anybody, any one person, can really understand all of these things. And to me, what we're missing in the marketplace is uh, the the architects who know all the building materials and know all the capabilities and to be able to solve the business problems. And that's where we see the scarce resource. So we're having a conversation with uh, a person running a... Um, a music festival, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's typically, we're not looking to push a technology. We're trying to understand their business problem saying, hey, is there some simple things we can do just to help tweak their business by 10% or 15%, which would be quite lucrative for them if we could do it. And we don't, we won't know until we engage that, but it's not like we're going to go take uh, language translation and go look for situations where language translation is the problem. Now, it's language translation is part of a bigger solution. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty overwhelming looking at the screen, and I think obviously part of the problem is kind of asking the right questions to find what what are the true business problems that need solving. Um, I think the difficulty is that sometimes people may not look at that problem solving exercise as a creative one, and so it's difficult to think think about the new type of products that we have up on the screen that may help to solve those type of problems rather than using the existing stuff that they already know how to do. Um, so it's, it's definitely a big marketing challenge because most people I speak to know IBM Watson and they know it from my interactions with it is, uh, I think there's an advert um, with Serena Williams, there's an advert on a farm where Watson is there like uh, helping a farmer go through all of his um, data on crop yields and stuff like that. So it's it's a big marketing push. But, but in your paradigm, do you see uh, Watson being accessible? Or is it just cool marketing? Because to me, uh, these open APIs say this is accessible. You can go and play on, you get a free account and you can play around with this a stuff. Good amount of access with a trial account as well. And I think what TJ was saying before is that these open API um, uh I guess philosophies are opening this up to the world. I mean, companies like IBM—they're competing for, 
you know, platform dominance in this regard, right? Mm-hmm. So the the pace of change is so quick now, and the, the different skills that are be, that become relevant and then become obsolete, it's changing so quickly that um, it, it's it's not efficient just to say, hey, we're going to try and even poach the best talent out there. If, if you're an IBM, if you're a Microsoft, you want to make sure that you're making this available. You want to dissolve some of those barriers to entry so that the developers out there, wherever, wherever they are, whether they're working for a crowd, they're freelance, working for another company, that they're using these functions, these callable APIs, whatever they are, you want, I mean, IBM wants to be this platform for callable AI solutions uh, for, for APIs that utilize Watson and other services, right? So if it's democratized and it's easy to use, I mean, they're competing for talent, the actual, you know, yeah. not just targeting customers, but targeting the end user within the companies that utilize these services. Right. So think about the, the, the emerging uh, gig economy around, I'll call it micro development. So we did some work with Wipro around Topcoder, and we're doing some interesting stuff with them where they're microtizing or packetizing. They mm-hmm. think they use the term atomization, where they break the work down into small, digestible bytes. Right. If you're now a programmer who understands a fraction of those 192 capabilities plus stuff from Microsoft, plus stuff from other open APIs, whether it be Google or, or wherever, you're now able to craft solutions based on that and crank stuff out very fast and do it wherever you want. So we just, we just worked a development deal and what, what's the rate we're getting about 30, $37 an hour mm-hmm. offshore and Columbia, Columbia. Uh, to be able to do some basic RPA stuff. Now that's using one or two technologies. This is showing that there's, you know, again, I would say there's probably five to 600 out there from the major companies that are open, open functions. That's allowing people who typically wouldn't be trained in coding to be able to stitch together some pretty interesting solutions for people. Well, and to your point, it's if if they're really targeting those individuals, it's not just uh, providing access, you need to also provide avenues for education and skills development, right? So one thing that IBM does do well here, and we, we just met with them on the block the topic of blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. And at, at evol- you know, out of the companies we talked to, IBM really stood out in terms of being a not just a leader for the thinking and the thought leadership towards where blockchain can go to transform enterprise solutions, mm-hmm. um, but really they're one of the ones that are driving one of the main fabrics, so the hyperledger fabric, mm-hmm. and the really the whole the, sca- the scaffolding and the protocols around blockchain design and uh, implementation for hyperledgers, which is one of the main ones, they're really pioneering that. So they're not just the provider, not just the consulting provider, they're also the platform developer as well. And they're they're really running that entire environment, that entire community. So they're mm-hmm. they're really driving the entire industry forward in that regard, not just saying, hey, hire us to develop a blockchain solution. We we, we sat through the briefing. We had, um, let's say, five or six companies come in on blockchain? Yes. And we sat through all, I sat through all of them. And I think I may have missed one. IBM was in, was the most coherent to me anyway. It's a very complicated technology. Uh, people will claim that they understand what it means and how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by bringing it up, I don't intend, I, don't, I want to imply that I understand what it is, but. <laughs> what yeah. is it you said, Tom? A great saying, you ask. Oh, uh, three experts, you give four opinions. <laughs> yeah, especially for blockchain. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, it's, uh, when we started studying it, I'd say about three or four years ago, we we were picking it up largely around Bitcoin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Bitcoin is an application that runs on a blockchain and it's one architecture. It doesn't have to be only that architecture, but it's extremely complicated. You know, proof of work, proof of um, uh, effort in terms of authentication. You have to understand multi-key um, hashing. So it's a lot of advanced mathematics and then how, how that all works in the system is not, is not straightforward. I would guess, you know, I know a lot about it and I don't really know what the hell it is in that sense. And so, but I understand if you look at what it's claims to do, which is a distributed uh, decentralized ledger, you can solve a lot of business problems that I think get the technology right. But IBM, I would say probably had the best blockchain pitch. But I, I really want to get back to the point of what I want to talk about in this show today, which is, you know, when people are looking at disruptive technologies, it, you know, it's right in front of us. I mean, the companies that people are already doing business with, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be Google or IBM, my guess is you're n- not tapping what those companies you already have relationships with can can do in terms of disrupting your existing operations for the good. And, and I, I'd, be, I'd be quite sure that that's the case. Because when we go in and look at different environments, very few people are doing it. And even personalize it to yourself. If you look, if, if most people use some version of Microsoft Office, we're familiar with it. But I think Word is on, if you look back at the kernel of, of Word, it's on a 14 dot release right now. So it's 14 dot something. So what were the features that came out in version 11 or version 9? Do you use them all? Or are you using the same features you always use from version 2, 3, or 4 and really haven't done that? And that's really gets to the notion of if you look at, if you think of all the IBM capabilities, in this case, we just looked at 192. Uh, maybe a year ago, it was 150. The 42 that they added. And next year they're going to add another hundred or whatever the number is. At some point, it gets beyond the capability of a person to keep up with it. So we have a term that, of art that we called feature gap, which was as technology, specifically software, progresses to a certain point, even the best experts can't keep up with it, and you end up with this feature gap, which is, I have all these features but I can't use them. And that's where we get into this notion of software using software because the software can fully exploit all the capabilities. So our, our premise has always been that the magic middleware, which is the software using software, is going to drive that nonlinear explosion in terms of its impact. Do you think it's, um, do you think it part, a lot of the responsibility sits maybe with the developers to better communicate with people or even bringing the developers into the conversation around the business problem you're trying to solve a little earlier and having them communicate what some of these are because the page we pulled up is very much looks like it's targeted towards people who are developing or using these open APIs as part of kind of building that solution, the engineers, whoever it may be. It, is it a case that we they have because of their importance now in in creating this technology and developing it? Do you think it's important to have them better communicate some of these solutions? I, to me, if I think of all these as ingredients to a solution, mm-hmm. we don't need more ingredients. We we need we need more. I mean, th- let's use a cooking metaphor. 
we don't need more cooking ingredients. We just need to start making some meals, which gets to the notion of people need to go out and start solving problems with the ingredients they already have. My guess is very few people are using all the ingredients at their fingertips. They already exist. What we're probably doing is rather than focus on the next 10 ingredients, when we're, when we have a very low utilization on what's already there is to start focusing on having out of the box conversations. Now we had an interesting debate this morning Mm -hmm. about why the hell will we be even talking to a music festival? What do we know about that? I don't even like music festivals beyond it's too loud. Right. (laughs) And, and, and it's, and it's not comfortable. Like (laughs) stand further (laughs) away. Like people, but I've been to, I've been to a music festival and I I just don't, I just don't like them, but that's not to say that we can't sit down with them and, and have a business conversation about, um, what their problems are and how to bring some of the, these ingredients, that are out there that are disrupting all kinds of legacy operations and helping them drive it out. Imagine if I could increase, you know, a $20 million business, increase it by 10, 20, 30% at very low incremental cost. That's extremely profitable and valuable to the owner of that operation. But they have a, they have a self-awareness and they're at least reaching out to the community of solution designers and consultants to say, what else can we do better? And I think yeah. to answer your question, Ron, before, just slightly differently, mm-hmm. I think business leaders need to be more proactive about advancing their own technological or uh, technology literacy, mm. right? So it's not just, hey, we're going to sign some massive services contract and it's five years long and I'm not going to revisit it until five years is up and we need to rene- renegotiate or rebid. Mm-hmm. It, this stuff is very fast moving. This 192 module page on IBM we were looking at, that's going to be 193, 200 by tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's constantly changing. So it's not that uh, it, uh, we you need to on. be talking yeah. to the developers more, talking to the experts. You do. Uh, you need to be setting up methods to uh, to investigate and uh, in an agile fashion agile fashion deploy some of these new technologies into, into an environment of really enabling continuous change yeah. as opposed to these uh, long duration step functions forward because mm-hmm. you'll get caught in the wake of disruption if you wait that long that has to be continuous change yeah yeah it's a cultural shift really it is it's a huge cultural shift yeah and it's none of this stuff I mean because the, the, the technology is so dispersed and it's so uh, customized and um, it, it's hard to be an expert in everything. Yeah. But if you just stay on top of it and are at least aware of all the different movements, yeah. you can piece together very powerful solutions. Mm. I, I, I go back to the, you, you need to just be familiar with the landscape of all, all these capabilities out there. And then I just think you need to have more engaging business conversations about solving problems. And then really put the challenge back and say, I assume that the technology can solve this. And then just figure out how, that, how that's going to work. Versus taking a technology that you find very interesting, and there's lots of them. Natural language processing, natural language generation, chatbots, uh, machine learning. You can go right down the list. There's a whole bunch of stuff. You can get totally fascinated by it. And if you get fascinated by one of them and then try to go be a hammer that looks for the nail, I think you're going to not be near as successful that if you try to understand what problems are trying to be solved and then being able to reach into your toolbox to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. 
versus a tool-led implementation on how you're going to go do that. So I think in two weeks, I'm heading out to San Francisco to the IBM Think Conference, uh, where I'm going to try to gauge how much of it's what I'll call technology-led or technology looking for a solution versus solution-led disruptions that are enabled by a portfolio of different technologies. Again, it's a it's a nuanced difference, but it's extremely important to recognize that difference. Yeah, I think um, just as a closing remark, remark from myself, some of the we went to the NRF conference as well. There's a lot of uh, service providers there, kind of with their technology solutions, but very you didn't get the sense that they were kind of marketing in a way that was asking the questions that would help you get to that business problem. Um, you know, they were more pushing these kind of single word technologies, um, which kind of adds to that problem, right? It's a different way of looking at it. Um, trying to really ask the question to help you get to what the business problem is rather than looking at the technology first. Uh, the, the, the walk on the NF, NRF floor, it felt like, uh, I have a hammer. Do, do you have a nail? Mm -hmm. And, or, or I think you have a nail. Here's my hammer to solve that problem versus really stepping back. I, and part of the issue with the re imagining retail, we, the thing I regret on the NRF that we probably didn't do, we should have done is sat through some of the talks, yeah. the talks and the stages versus walking the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, probably got a very different flavor of what's challenging. Cause I think the, the challenge on retail, it goes back to just changing, uh, how you're going to engage customers and and change the game between online commerce, which is price and availability, versus bricks and mortar. I think that's a, and we've talked a lot about that. I don't want to rehash that, but it'll be interesting to see when I go to IBM's conference in San Francisco in two weeks, what the theme of that is. What are people saying? Uh, do they feel that they're saturated by technology and are a star for solutions? Or how is that how is that working? It's pretty interesting. So we we may we may go out with a larger team and and visit some other uh, people out in uh, the West Coast. Automation Anywhere is out there as well. Uh, so we we have a arrangement we're trying to work out with them as well uh, for our business, so we can start stitching together some solutions. And um, anyway, looking forward to having continuing conversations about that. Let's follow up. The, let's follow up with Rob. Yep, because he's getting a new job at IBM, isn't he? Yeah. So Rob is uh, assuming the role of CTO still for uh, edge computing. So, um, I mean, again, like a blockchain, but like even a smaller percentage of people know what yeah, the we'll, hell that uh, is. We'll solve edge computing <laughs> on the next podcast. So stay tuned. <laughs> uh, but it'd be cool to get him in because um, I have very little knowledge about that, but. When Rob talks about it, his eyes light up. So you know it's going to be something really exciting and cool. Um, so maybe we can we can get him in to to maybe break it down in in layman's term and discuss discuss kind of how he got into that project. So definitely, yeah, yeah. I think uh, as I understand it, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the deep end without my swimmies here. <laughs> the, uh, the edge computing is a little bit of a re, uh, of a reaction to an overemphasis on putting everything in the cloud. So it gets to the notion of what is your strategy about putting 
some compute at the edge uh, for application performance and reliability. So, um, so it, it, it just really gets to the notion of the architecture. It's much, you, you want to get it right. It's not one or the other. It's not all cloud. And it's not all local. Mm -hmm. So getting that right balance. And so edge computing is probably trying to force that balance to people who have probably over-engineered stuff to the cloud. Mm. Although I'll, we did watch that funny cloud video today. We'll have to <laughs> yeah. put that in the show notes. I'll put that in the show put notes Put that cloud sure. video in the show That was hilarious. Yeah. Talk about leading with technology. Cloud. <laughs> yeah. Just say cloud. <laughs> Screen blockchain at them until they give you money. Yeah. yeah. I think that was working for, <laughs> for a long Sometime. time. Yeah. I think it's still working. <laughs> No, there was a, there wasn't there an SEC investigation on uh, people just overusing blockchain in their title. There was like a carpet company in Long Island. They called it the Blockchain Carpet Company, and they just yeah, it was they got bought for like ten million dollars. It actually happened. I'm with, kidding. I don't know exactly there, what it is. There but was something in the consumer. Something like that. There was something in the consumer product space. Um, I think Bart's putting it up now. It was yeah. Here it is. This yeah. is it. Yeah. It's an iced tea company. No, what is this? Um, this is new. It's an iced tea company that said that they were going going to be um, using blockchain, or they put block Bitcoin in their name. What was it? Yeah, yeah. The it's iced nuts. tea company that changed its name to Long Blockchain, and it shot up by five hundred percent on the stock market. And funnily enough, they're not going to be getting into blockchain after it's, all. It's uh, yeah. So there's a lot of hype here. People are. Again, I go back to the notion that people are starving for solutions and not for more technology. Um, we got all the technology we need for the most part right now that we're not even using. It's not that we can't use more technology, but we're not even coming close to using what we have at our fingertips. Yeah, it's just compelling to see a solution in the form of an off-the-shelf product yeah. all packaged up. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, it, but, it, but, it's, but most of those solutions off-the-shelf solve the problem that they define, not the problem you have. So as long as you're willing to adopt that problem as your problem, then it's great. But most people customize these things, and it's not very good. So anyway, any other parting comments? I'm good here. No, great. Thanks. All right. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks. Bye -bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today, Pardon the Disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation and blockchain. Uh, the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.